What a story we've got for you guys today. I am so stoked about this one. Listen, uh, we're talking to an individual who played in the major leagues, and it wasn't your typical, oh, I just got right to the majors. No, this was a seven-plus year journey through the minors before the call-up to the show to be able to compete at the highest level. But it's also another interesting take here because initially this individual was supposed to be playing college football to begin with and then shifted his route to the sport of baseball. Absolutely incredible interview coming your way today. I cannot wait to share this with you. This is one where you're going to learn about discipline, perseverance, consistency, confidence, avoiding the fear of failure and understanding that failure is a good thing. All the things that young athletes need to know, this is perfect. Plus, we're going to be talking about Athlete Narrative, where he is now a VP. And Athlete Narrative is an app that is perfect for athletes who want to leverage their name, image, and likeness. And it is a very affordable option. As you guys know, I'm an ambassador of Athlete Narrative. I'm going to put the link here in the description. Very affordable. If you want to utilize their services as an athlete or if you're a parent and you're interested in it, click the link in the description of this podcast. Check it out and listen to the end of this podcast because Brandon's going to be sharing the insight with you on what Athlete Narrative is all about and why they put it together and some of the cool features inside of it that uh, these athletes can take advantage of. It's going to be fantastic. So again, appreciate you guys tuning in. Get ready for this one. It's full of a ton of insight. This is the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boost. This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. By now, you should know who I am, but if this is your first time joining the show, welcome aboard. We're always happy to have you guys here with us and uh, listening to the show, so I appreciate everybody's support. We're now into 2024 with the podcast. We're looking to take this to new heights. Uh, we're in 182 countries, all 50 states. We're growing the platforms on all the sides. As I've said before, my audio podcast is the 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 majority of my listeners. That's where I started in 2017, but I do still have the content on YouTube. I would encourage all of you who are listening to check out the YouTube page. I don't have a ton of followers, but I'm looking to grow it. And that's my smallest platform. But now that I have video content, I've been doing that for the last couple of years. I want people to understand that you can put faces to names uh, just like we're doing today. So if you're listening to this on the audio side, go check out the YouTube side. If you're listening to it on YouTube and you want to you know, get it on the audio side, go do that as well. So as you guys heard in the introduction, we're uh, talking to former professional baseball player. We're going to learn a lot of stuff. He's a businessman now, and he's got some insight to share on that side of things too. But we're going to learn about the athletic side of the, of the game and then some of the things he's learned in his business ventures since then. So his name is Brandon Barnes. Brandon, thanks for joining the show, man. Oh, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. I'm stoked. Yeah, dude, absolutely. I was uh, talking to Brian Fulmer, who was a guest on the show as well, and he had mentioned your name, and I was like, I know the name. And I think it's just because <laughs> of certain circles that I've run in, you know, around here locally in the Treasure Valley. But, like, I know that dude's name. And then I go and I follow you, and I'm like, dude, I've known this guy. How in the world did I not ever, like, know to reach out? But I'm just glad it all worked out because uh, you have quite a freaking cool story. So, Brandon, before we even get into the the professional side of your sport that you competed in for a while, let's talk about the early days um, as an athlete. 
growing up. Can you talk to us about like where you grew up and maybe just the sports that you competed in at a young age, the hobbies that you kind of got into when you were younger? Yeah, man, I grew up uh, in Southern California, Anaheim, California, to be exact. Man, I've been playing sports since the day I could remember. Um, you know, I've had a bat and ball in my hand since I was four years old and grew up in baseball, soccer, um, basketball, football. I ran track. Um, any any way I could play a sport, I was out there doing it. It didn't matter. So the competition, like you were very competitive from a young age. So did you grow up with any siblings or were you the only one in the in the crew? Um, I was the oldest. I have a uh, younger sister and then I have two stepbrothers. Um, but man, I'm uber competitive in, in anything I do. You know, I have a wife and three daughters and we play games at home and, and I don't let them win. You know, I'm, I'm winning it all. <laughs> I love it, man. I love that. That's, that's, uh, that's awesome. The athletic world, it drives competition, which is a good thing. I mean, that's, it's a great thing. We'll probably talk about that in a little while too. I'll take note of that when we talk about business, but growing up in Southern California, um, I've talked to a lot of people on the show that are actually from Southern California. We've had like, I mean, Brent, I've talked to dudes who run football programs like the OG Ducks. It's like a club football Pop Warner style oh, travel yeah. team that's down there. And, you know, we talked to a lot of those guys over there and they they breed athletes out of California, I swear to you. So it's kind of funny, you know, you're from California on the baseball side of things. But um, at what point in your athletic career did you say, hey, baseball is probably what's going to be my main driver here as compared to the other sports? When did you kind of make that shift? Man, baseball was always like my true love, my my first love, my first passion. Um, but when I got into high school, I was actually a better football player than I was a baseball player. So my senior year, I decided to quit baseball and just focus on um, in football next level. You know, I had a, a scholarship to UCLA to play football, to play safety, and uh, didn't work out. They had a coaching change. It's my scholarship and. Uh, Went and played in a, a rec baseball tournament where I, I hit eight home runs in 10 games and, and hit like 400. And one of my buddies came up to me. He's like, dude, you were born to play baseball. Like, You need to, to make the change. I was like, no, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to play in the NFL. And, and that's going to be my career. You know, I prayed on it that night and I woke up the next morning and baseball was on my mind. It was immediate. I had to uh, change colleges. I went to a junior college to, to play baseball. And so that at that point, when I went to junior college for baseball, that's when my mind shifted. And man, I was I was all all baseball all the time. But that is so interesting, though. I mean, from having a, an opportunity to play at a major university for a completely different sport to then shifting to a different sport and competing at a very, <laughs> very high level, have you? But you went to a junior college. So let's unbox that a little bit. I want to talk about. I guess. So you had a focus on football because that's what you were going to go do mentally when that scholarship situation didn't work out. And like, how did you mentally prep yourself, Brandon, to like make that shift? Because for a lot of people, their identity seems to be in one sport and it could derail them. Whereas you kind of like took it and ran with it and did, did so very successfully, I would say. Yeah, I, I grew up, uh, you know, playing sport, right. But my two main sports were football and baseball from the point I was 10 to, to high school. And, you know, I always looked up to guys like Deion Sanders, you know, primetime and Bo Jackson. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to play both sports at the highest level. Um, but it takes a different beast to, to become that. Right. So, um, that, that switch, it, it wasn't necessarily like a mental switch. It was just, 
I knew what I needed to do to get to the next level and whatever sport that was going to be, I was going to do it. And I was going to give a hundred percent because, you know, when you play two sports, um, you give a little bit less to one or the other. Right. And you have to be a freak athlete like Dion or Bo to, to give a hundred of both. And the career is not going to last as long in one of those sports. So I wanted to make sure I maximize my time in the sport that I was playing. So for me, it was, all right, baseball's the switch. Let's just go all in. Ooh. Yeah, it's almost like the whole concept in business where they say burn the boats, right? Like, you know, a lot of guys have said burn the boats, like Tony Robbins is notorious for it, but there's everybody else has copied it. Burn the boats and go all in kind of thing and 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 come what may. That's so going to a junior college, can you explain the junior college experience for the rest of us? Because I've talked to a lot of athletes on the show. I actually just had a guy on the show that's a junior college football coach down in California actually right now. But like talking about the junior college experience for you with baseball, um, was it glamorous uh, or was it one of those things that was kind of like a grind? Yeah, ju Juco's a grind, man. It's, uh, you know, it's it's not as tough as being a student athlete at a, you know, a division one or four year school. But, you know, you, you got to make sure you set yourself up to to transfer out. Right. So the goal to to go in junior college is, you know, year two, transfer to a D1 and then go pro after that. And so my mindset was, okay, I got to have good grades. I got to get the things I needed to get done in the classroom. But at the same time, like you got to get done what's on the field. Correct. And, and to be the top athlete in the Juco circuit is because there's tons of Juco's and, and every one of those Juco guys is looking to level up as well. So you got to make sure you're the all American. You're the, you're the top notch guy, you're the guy that the colleges are coming to watch. The scouts are coming to watch. Um, but it's not pretty. I mean, you're taking bus rides. You're not, flying on planes to go to different colleges. Everything's a bus ride. Um, you're playing in, in smaller stadiums, you know, almost sandlot type fields. But it's about dream. For me, it was always about the dream. I'm going to play in the big leagues one day. I'm, I'm going to get there. I'm going to play pro ball. And uh, you got to keep your mindset on something greater. Ooh, that's huge. That's, that's really important, keeping the mindset on something greater. Because, yeah, it's not – as glamorous as some people think. And now in the sport of baseball, it's unique because obviously football, there's a requirement to have a certain amount of years after high school before you can even be eligible for the NFL draft for basketball. They've got the whole, they're trying to make shifts to it. They used to allow high school guys coming right out of high school to go to the NBA. And then they made that shift. So playing professionally, at least in the national basketball association, you have to have a year removed. There's been some things that are changed. The NBA G League has made some adjustments to that as well to try to keep these guys stateside. But baseball is still unique in the fact that some of these guys are coming really quick into the into the pro leagues, right? Whether it be in the minors or not, but it's still into the pro leagues. They can get there pretty fast. And so it's not as well, maybe you can educate us on this, but is it it doesn't seem to be as common for someone to go the normal course of like junior college D one and then professional when you have some of these guys coming right out of high school. So maybe I'm wrong on that, but could you educate us on that, Brandon? Yeah, I think, you know, what separates baseball is, is that you can have a 17, 18 year old get drafted and go straight to the pros. Um, but going pro in baseball is a lot different than, you know, football or the NBA. You have the G league, right? Um, you have the D league, but, there's only two levels, right? If you excel at, sorry, um, if you you're excel good. at uh, excel one of those, you're going to get to to the NBA, right? So if you're the top guy in the G League, the D League, whatever it may be, it's just one step, 
right? Well, baseball, when you get drafted as a 17, 18, 19 year old kid, um, you know, there's, you know, when I came in, it's a little bit different now. They've, they've cut some, some league system out, but you, you had to start at rookie ball, right? Then you had to go to a ball. Then you had to go to, to full season, a ball. Then you have high a double a triple a, right? You, you make all these stops. So if you hit every stop, like I did, you're spending seven years in the minor leagues before you ever get to the big leagues. Um, so for me, it was, okay, get in as soon as possible. So I have more time to grow and, and be a better athlete and, and get to the top. Oh man, that is, it's such just you talking about it right now. That's such a grind that people don't even realize <laughs> until you're like in it, but it's cool that like we're, we're getting to your story though, to really learn about the whole process. But I want to touch base one more thing on, on, on the junior college side of things. Can you walk us through like, the the training sessions because you know athletes they ha they have weight training I'm not sure how the baseball weight training and strength and conditioning practices and so forth looked for you guys at the junior college level but can you walk us through like maybe a day in the life of a junior college baseball player who's looking to get to the next level yeah man I was uh I take things to the next level and I, I've just always been like that so I I always always the guy that pushed my teammates so I always have uh like 6 30 weights um before class in junior college and i was there at six o'clock making sure i was able to expand that time to to work out and i would start dragging guys with me um so you know we're, we're getting there at 6 a.m so that's a, a minimum of 5 30 wake up you're, you're lifting for an hour hour and a half and then you're going straight to class from there you go shower go to class um you go through your class routine you know your your five classes that day or whatever classes you have set up and then, um, you know, you get a lunch break and then it's off to the field, right, for practice. And I, and I was gone from 5.30 in the morning to sometimes like 6, 7 at night. Just nonstop. And uh, the next step in your process, Brandon, I guess would be like the next level, right? So when you made your decision after junior college was done, how did that work out? Did you Did you say, hey, like I've got other schools looking at me. I have options in the pros. Like, how did it work out for you and how did you make that transition to the next step in your journey? Yeah. So, you know, going to be, you know, going into junior college, I was like, okay, I'm going to get out of here as fast as possible. Um, make sure my grades are right. And then either go to a division one school or, or try to get drafted. And, and I came in with, you know, I wasn't cocky, but I was confident. Right. I, so I would come in and, and some of the sophomores, the guys that had already been there asked me like, you know, why are you coming here? I said, cause I, I'm going to go to the next level. I'm going to get drafted. And, and, you know, coming in as a freshman, the, the older guys that are still there that haven't been drafted or gone D1, you know, the first thing they say is freshmen don't get drafted. And and I take that upon me as fueling my fire. Like, you don't think I can do something. I'm going to prove you. I'm going to prove to it. I'm going to do it. And so I told him straight to his said day, I said, watch, I'll be draft, drafted in the top 10 rounds. And uh, I held up my end of the bargain. I went out, um, didn't get to start my uh, first couple games as a, as a freshman. And then I got put into a game where we were just dominating somebody and hit two doubles. Next game got to start, hit doubles with a homer. And uh, the rest is history. Became an All-American. Uh, shoot, I was a freshman All-American. I was All-Conference, All-State. Uh, got inducted into the Cypress College Hall of Fame as a freshman. And then I uh, was drafted in the sixth round by the Houston Astros. That is so cool. So during the okay that's so sick it's one thing to say it right like it's one thing for you to say okay watch me watch me do this but then to do it especially when you're not starting at the beginning of your freshman season right so it's not 
And again, I want to remind everyone who's listening to this because the same thing I'm learning at the same time. Mind you, you were going to be a football player in college. (laughs) Okay, so we have shifted yep. to a completely different sport. You're now in college playing that sport. You didn't even start the first couple of games, whatever. And now you get drafted to the Houston Astros organization right after. I mean, that's that's a grind, and that takes a lot of dedication, but it kind of shows it, like your mentality, your dedication, your discipline, in my opinion, um, was probably a huge factor in that. Just 5.30, wake up, get to the weights by 6, doing the whole thing. Um, and and leading in that regard, I think that's huge. A lot of people just kind of go through the motions of what I've seen, but the ones who are able to compete at the highest level are doing exactly what you're doing. So for those listening, if you're a parent, coach, or a player, my recommendation is take notes of this. There's a common denominator in those who are successful in whatever they're doing, but in this in the aspect, it's sports. Maybe take note of that. Don't just say, oh, it sounds cool. It's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to do it. You need to take note of what's required and actually start doing what's required. So. Brandon, when you, I want to talk about this because to me, it's always really cool to talk to guys who've played at the professional level. And I don't even care what level it is, but even like, obviously you've been playing at the, you played the highest level, but like even the, the draft process and the emotions that are involved with that, like, talk to me about that. Walk me through your emotions during the draft process. At, like when you, that dream became a reality, so to speak. Yeah. So, so back in the day, you know, I, I'm not that, but I'm older. Right. So the the draft process was completely different it was all on the computer um you know it wasn't televised so you you just pretty much sat there with the ticker and waited as pick by pick by pick and round by round went um and it gets you know you get some anxiety with it right because you're like okay what am i going when am i going um but for me it was i didn't know a whole lot about the mlb draft i just knew that my name was thrown out there and you know anywhere between 10 and 12 round to get drafted um, and this is where a kid from, you know, middle class family that didn't come with much and kind of hustled his way through high school and stuff. Um, that's where the hustler came out. And that's where my first business kind of mindset stepped in where I got a call in the fourth round by the St. Louis Cardinals asked me if I would take, you know, $75,000, uh, to come play with them. You know, of course I'm a kid with no money and they're like 75 grand. I was like, done, I'll sign. So they're like, all right, hold on, uh, give us a couple rounds, and then we'll we'll call your name. So immediately, me being the hustler kid, I get on the phone with the Astros scout. I call him immediately because we had a good friendship. But hey, look, the Cardinals just called me. They're looking to take me in the next couple rounds. What are your thoughts? And he goes, hang up. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna make a call. Watch for your name. And two rounds later, the Astros drafted me in the sixth round, and I upped my stock by about a hundred grand. <laughs> Wow. So you were shopping yourself, essentially, like just doing the thing, like price comparisons and everything that you got to do nowadays as an adult. And you did that for yourself, which I think is huge. That's massive. And I love that you mentioned like you're I want people to put themselves in your shoes. Someone, you know, younger guy who you said middle class. Right. So you're just you're just not used to like having money right there. And, you know, just not having any money yourself, pretty much. Um, And then all of a sudden you're offered this. And then you go right into the hustler mentality. Okay, like here's what they're saying. Here's what we do. I can tell everybody right now, I have to do that with my podcast. Like if I get a sponsorship opportunity from one company, I'll go to another company and say, hey, this is what they're offering. Do you want to match it or not? Like when I bought my house, I had to figure out the same, hey, this is what rate they're giving me. What do you want to offer? Nope, cool. I'm going over here then. All right, well, then I'll take my business this way. 
it's cool that you figured that out. Like that's another one of those parallels between sports, business, and life in general. Like that's what I love hearing is is that type of deal. So also it's hilarious that it was done online. Like it's almost like a real life fantasy <laughs> draft, but it's real people yeah. that are like their lives are at stake, dude. So um so when you got the you know the notification, you're going. All right, what were the next steps there? Like what level were you going to? Was it like the next day or did you have a couple of weeks to prepare? And I guess like, let's, let's unbox that. And then I want to kind of talk about the grind of going through the minors and kind of figuring out the system there. Yeah, you get drafted and, you know, I had about two, three days to pack, get my things ready. And I headed out to, um, man, Tennessee. Uh, it was a small town called Greenville, Tennessee in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, it was really cool. It was a brand new stadium. It was, you know, two years old. So we had a great stadium, a great setup, but it was in literally the middle, middle of nowhere. The, the biggest restaurant there, I think was Applebee's. Um, and, and Not it's truly, <laughs> it's truly a grind, man. Like, you know, I get flash with this money in the draft and then, you know, you see what your paycheck is. You know, I was making 800 bucks a month, you know, cause they take rent out. They take your food out. And so you're left with 800 bucks a month and it's like, okay, I've got bills. You know, when, when I signed, my parents are like, all right, you made more money than us now. Here's your bills. It's time to be a man and start taking care of yourself. Right. Which, which I love so much that my parents did that. They, they said, figure it out. Right. They let me make the decisions on my life um, and guided me in some ways on, you know, how to pay bills, how to write checks and, and all these different things. Right. But, I had to grow up being an 18, 19 year old kid going off and living by yourself and in the middle of nowhere, you figure out things pretty quickly if you want to succeed. So, uh, yeah, I had three days to pack up, say goodbye to my family, say goodbye to my, my fiance, um, and go to grind, man. Wow, dude. Like I get anxiety thinking about that if I'm in your position, but it's, it's also very cool but what's interesting about what you just said there is it brings up something in my mind. I, I watched this documentary on ESPN a long time ago. It was a 30 for 30 documentary and maybe you and others that are, that are in our generation, same, you know, mid thirties to forties. Um, it was called broke and it was about athletes that like got paid a lot of money and they go broke after they're done playing. Cause they don't know how to do it. But one of the, one of the things that was discussed after that documentary was put out, they were talking about some big name players like Cam Newton, for example, I think it was Cam Newton was talking about his experiences and how like growing up, he wasn't allowed as an, as an elite athlete. Like he was playing sports all year round. So he never had a job through high school and or college for that matter. Granted, you know, we can talk about whatever he was getting paid on the tail. I don't know, but like he didn't have a job because as on scholarship and all this stuff, like he wasn't allowed to have a job. Like it was, that's what he did all day. So when he finally got his signing bonus, which was millions of dollars, he didn't even know how to write a check. Cause he'd never yep. done that. So you just said like, you know, you had to learn how to write a check and all these things. That's like the real life application of things. And it's so funny because it's things that we don't really think about, which is why the school system has probably failed all of us. But like, we, we should yep. probably know how to write a check in my opinion, or, you know, make <laughs> open a bank account and those types of things. But it's awesome. Shout out to your parents for like, you know, saying, okay, here you go. You got to figure it out. Then the fact that you just said the 800 bucks a month or whatever it may be, that is where, this is where I kind of want to take this is because so many people I know, the general fans, Brandon, they'll say like, they'll be like, well, why are they complaining about this? Like they're getting paid. And it's like, well, would you want to be doing that? <laughs> it's still a physical game. And I say this about all sports, like whether it's 
baseball, football, overseas basketball. I mean, not everyone's getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in overseas basketball either. Like it's, nope. it's a, it's 800 bucks a month. It's actually a decent wage in some, you know, minor leagues to my understanding from some other people I've spoken to too. So like when you first get started, I should say, so it's like, yeah, 800 bucks a month, dude. That, t- I can't even pay my mortgage with that. That would pay the, the grocery bill nowadays. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. for my family, like three kids. So it's a grind. So <laughs> as you're going, you've got the financial component and the athletic component to it. And I'm sure when you get to the minors, there's other guys that are still trying to make it happen. Did you notice like when you got there that there were like, were the attitudes different? Some guys were they checked out or was everybody pretty much like, hey, I need to make it to the next level? Yeah, the um, you know, when you first go in uh, rookie ball, um, your first couple of seasons, guys are jacked, right? Like, this is the life. I'm, you know, I'm living the dream. I don't care what I get paid. And honestly, I didn't care either. I would have played professional baseball for free as long as I had a place to sleep and some food to eat, right? Like, I was living my dream. I got to play professional baseball and have an opportunity to play in the big leagues one day. Um, but there's guys, you know, after a full season, you know, they come back the next year and, and they check out. Like, the grind's not for everybody. And, and you, if you want to get into baseball, because baseball is a long season, right? It's, uh, it's, you know, a minor league season is 140 40 games, 142 games in about 160 days. Um, and the big level is 162 games in 180 days. So there's not very many days off. Um, your recovery time is a lot shorter. And you're taking – anywhere between two hour bus rides to, I think my longest was 17 hours on a bus. Um, and sometimes they're not sleepers. Sometimes you're sitting up or you're laying on the floor. I mean, there's times we we got inflatable uh, rafts from Walmart, blew them up so we could sleep on the floor of the, of the bus. You know, I had guys buy uh, hammocks and, and hang them from the roof, um, just find places to sleep. My gosh, dude. Ah, so if there's one thing to say, the grind is not for everyone. You know, Brandon, with the the load of games, it's different at that level. Like you just said, there's a lot of games, a lot of travel. Um, how did you, I guess, manage to keep your body in check? You're sitting down on a bus for 17 hours. That's a long time to be sitting. Hips get tight. Hamstrings get tight. Then you go and compete at a high level. Then you're back on a bus. And then, like, how did you get to maintain – like, how did you, how did you do that? How did you maintain your body? Make sure that you kind of avoided massive injuries to the best of your ability, I should say. Yeah. It goes back to that discipline, right? Like you got to do the things that you don't want to do. Um, and that's what discipline is. It's doing the, the tough things every single day. Um, so it was, you know, whether we got off a 17 hour bus ride, it was immediately stretchy and working on my flexibility. So those muscles weren't tight for the game. There's, there's days you, you got in from a bus trip. And you went straight to the field and had to warm up and get ready for a game, right? Depending on, you know, we've had times where the bus breaks down and then that delays the time and you get in early in the morning, you get a nap and then it's go to the field. Um, so it's the discipline aspect of like, okay, what do I need to do? Is this going to help me? And I got to do it. So what we got in at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, I stretched. I made sure that my body was loose for the next day, um, staying hydrated, right? Like a lot of guys... And I did myself. We wanted to have a couple beers on the bus, relax, chill, play cards. Great. But I knew that if I had too many drinks the next day, between the bus ride and being dehydrated, my body wasn't going to work at max max capacity. 
So being disciplined enough to be like, okay, I can't drink too much and I need to do the things I need to do to keep my body prepared, you know, hot tub, cold tub, um, therapy work, whether it was massages or um, going to see the Cairo. Those things are, are the things that people say like, do I really need to do them? Absolutely. If you're grinding and you're going through it 160 to get, uh, games throughout the year, you got to take care of your body or it's not going to take care of you. Oh, two things to mention there. You just reminded me of some, th- everything you're saying is like spot on. Again, this is the recipe for success. And w- this is what I've learned from interviewing people. Uh, Walter Bond, who I had on my show a couple years back, he talked about when he played at the jazz, he said the chiropractor, you know, John Stockton, stuff that people don't know. John Stockton, he's a little dude. John Stockton was one of the best point guards to ever play in the NBA, but he's a little guy, man. He's like a buck 70 maybe. And he's like six feet tall. Like he's not a big guy but he played at a high level. He played very physical, but he would go to the chiropractor two to three times a day just to make sure his body was in alignment. Now, I don't think everybody needs to be that, you know, obsessive over it and compulsive, but like, it's like, you know, he was, he took that very seriously to keep, keep his body in alignment. Um, And then I also talked to Trevor Moad, who has recently passed away in the last year, but Trevor Moad had a cool book um, in regards to thinking neutral. He was Russell Wilson's mental consultant and all this stuff. And he talked about when he worked, for the Jaguars, he was talking about Fred Taylor. And you mentioned something that was interesting. Fred Taylor was on a, uh, a contract year. He was about to not get re-signed. He wasn't getting, getting an extension on his on his contract. And he was struggling because he kept facing hamstring injuries. Well, they purposely started bringing him in for treatment at 6 a.m. so that he couldn't like stay out all night unless he wanted to be dead tired. And they found that by him going in at 6 a.m., well, he was now going to bed at like 9, 10 o'clock rather than going out and drinking till one and then coming to practice because they realized that the alcohol consumption that he had and the lack of water to go <laughs> along with that, he was, he was getting dehydrated. It was causing problems with his, his hamstring injuries. He was then able to avoid those for that season, had a great season, got an extension on his contract. So anyway, those two things came to mind when you were talking about those things, <laughs> recipe for success, you are telling them the the secrets and I hope people are listening. So as you continue to do that, Brandon, talk to us about the rest of your your minor league experience as you made your way through uh, right before you know you get get the opportunity to go to the bigs. Yeah, man, I played uh, seven and a half years in the minor leagues before we got the first call. So, I uh, you know immediately you show up to that first season, you're like, all right, I'm the dude, man. I'm a freshman All American. I you have his eyes coming out of college, and then you show up, and every dude is that good. Right. Every guy was the top of their class, was the All-American. Um, you, you got the kids from Latin America who have been playing this game from the day they you know, stepped foot on earth. Right. So um, and that's what they live and breathe because they actually have to play the game at a high level to get off the island. Um, there's no walking your way off the island. The, the sayings, you got to hit your way off the island. And, um, you know, those guys live and breathe it. So you get there and it's like immediately like. Maybe I'm not that good, right? Those start creeping in your mind like, man, maybe I'm not the best dude out here. or Maybe I'm not the best athlete. And that's where the mental game comes in. But, uh, you know, I repeated, I think, every level at least once. So my first year went to rookie ball. Man, struggled. I think I hit one or two home runs and hit like two, 210, maybe 200. And then uh, repeated that level the next year. Hit be like. 220 with a couple home runs and it came to a point like I was a higher draft pick but they they after that second season they the scout called me and said look they're going to give you one more opportunity to show that you could play this game and man I, did I take you know that fuel in that offseason I just went to work I got with everybody I knew that could 
teach me the game at a higher level, um, whether it be the mental side or how to correctly uh, fix my mechanics for my swing, how to be a better out, outfielder. And I got an opportunity to move up that next year because they, they wanted to put me with the, the higher end college guy, the D1 guys. So went out there and had the best season at that point. I think I ended the year at like 250, 260, but I hit 10 home runs, um, led the team in RBIs and home runs. And so they gave me an opportunity the next year to, to move up. And that was the only level that I didn't repeat. So, I, oh, man, this is sick. Like, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to move to the next level, and it's going to start to work. You know, I showed up at my first full season. Man, it was bad. I had about 60 at-bats and struck out 30 of them, right, in the first couple months. And uh, I remember getting a called into the office that night. I hit a home run that night, drove in a couple RBIs, had two hits. I was like, okay, this is where I turn it around. And the minor league director called me in the office after the game. This is let alone a day before my birthday. And I uh, said, look, it, we think you need more work. We're going to send you down to work with the coach you worked with last year to get your swing back. Um, we don't know when you're going to get called back up. I left the office, called my wife and said, I'm coming home. This isn't what I'm doing. I'm, I'm done. I'm, do I'm tired of struggling. And, and my wife is my saving grace because the first thing she said to me is, if you come home, the doors will be locked. I haven't put up with you doing this for a couple of years. You just quit on your dream now. Go back, suck it up, and go get after it. And so next day on my birthday, I hopped on a plane, got sent down, went down, worked on my swing two weeks, got called back up, and finished the year about 250. Finished strong. Um, and then it came the next year, that same team. Uh, just started off hot about halfway through the year. I got called up to high A play amazing in high. A. I was like, Oh, I'm going to double A next year for sure. Nope. I got sent right back to high A ended up, uh, being an all-star league, league, uh, second in the league to in home runs to Paul Goldschmidt, who's going to be in the hall of fame first baseman. Um, and, uh, that year went double A didn't even get a starting job. I was a bench guy. Um, came off the bench, was hitting 300, got called up to triple A struggle mightily. I think I hit like eight home runs the first month. I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to get called up this year. And then they started throwing me sliders. I could hit a fastball, but slider my nemesis. So uh, coach stopped playing me. I asked to get sent down, which I highly disregard that because no one ever gets asked to get sent back down. Um, but I, need, I knew I needed to get working. I knew I needed to get better at some things. So for me to play was actually better than me to be at a high level and sit the bench. Um, went back down, crushed it, went up to, uh, went back to double A again, uh, for parts of the third season and then, uh, killed it. I was a Texas league player of the week, three weeks in a row, uh, Texas league player of the month, ended up getting called up to triple A, the same manager that didn't play me. And, um, I remember all spring training, I, I hit with the triple A hitting coach. We had a really good relationship and he taught me a lot of things and, he went to bat for me. He told the manager that I need to lead off. I need to play every day and just let me do my thing. Um, and so finally got the manager to break. I let off every single game, hit 325. At, at one point I was hitting like 340 um, and got the call in the big leagues that probably two and a half months later, got a call. We were playing Salt Lake City. And uh, we lost on a walk-off homer from Cal Calhoun or Cole Calhoun and called me in the office after 
asked him my attitude sucked, why I wasn't doing this and that. And, and I got mad at him. I started, you know, chirping back like, I'm the same guy to yelling at him. He goes, okay, good. I just want to see if your fire was still there because you're going to the big list tomorrow. And, uh, man, I just remember pulling my shirt up, crying for like 10 minutes. And then when I, when I pulled it back down, I saw all the, the, the coaches and manager crying too. They had, they had followed my journey. They had been with me throughout this, this seven and a half years of just grinding. People telling me I'm never going to make it um, and, and keep mindset of like, it's going to happen. So that was my climb to the big leagues. It was long. It was a grind, but I would change one moment of it. Dude, this is documentary status right here. Like this is, that's a movie and it needs to be like, yeah, that is wild, man. Um, I'm sitting here like, as I'm, I'm writing down notes as you're talking and like, I can't even like the ups, it's like a graph of like the stock market. It's going up and down. I'm going down yeah. and I'm going back up and I'm going down. And I'm going back up. And some of that, what I, what I took away from that, Brandon as well, which I would like to point out is it seems like you had a little bit of self-awareness, which I think is important in anybody's life. Um, you knew what you needed. Um, and, you know, and I know you said you would not uh, necessarily recommend somebody like asking to be demoted to a different, like a lower league or anything, but you did know that you needed more re playing was better for you at that point than just not. And you needed to get reps Absolutely. and you, you knew what you needed. So you were self-aware. Um, I think that's a huge thing for athletes is to be self-aware. Like, what do you need and be humble enough to like do it um, and, and then actually take action. Dude, the whole, like all the whole story is wild. Like that was a pretty, that's seven years wrapped up in about five, 10 minutes of talking with like, yeah. that's seven years. I want people to like, maybe think about that. Like how long, what has happened in the last seven years? I've been doing this podcast for seven years and yeah. there has been so much that has happened. I mean, I have three kids now in the last seven years. It's like, dude, <laughs> it's, there's a lot that's gone on in seven years, man. And you were in the thick of things for so long. So, and then the whole, you know, the the moment that your coach tells you you know here you go this is, you're going um that's actually crazy right there but that's not where yeah. the story ends i want to know but before we get there i know this is gonna be crazy what was out of all of that your favorite experience in the minors oh man my i'd say my favorite experience was um the guys i met the families i met the fans i got to meet um you know i making 800,000 a month. I lived with families, uh, host families, you know, that graciously opened their house to me and my wife. And, you know, it's, it's not luxury, but I didn't have to pay rent. And, you know, the, the couple of families that I met were, were amazing. They cooked me breakfast. We got to dinner after games. Um, to me, they were family and I still keep in contact, um, with them to this day. Um, but, but the people, uh, through those times, like my teammates that I still have really great relationships with, um, that you can call, you know, not just about sport, but about life. And then the people that you meet along the way that just follow your journey all the way to the big leagues is probably the coolest part of the whole journey. Did you ever like realize, like, or did you ever witness people that you thought, like, I mean, that's the good stuff. Did you ever see people that kind of like, were the naysayers, even people that were close to you, or did you pretty much have all positivity around you the whole entire journey? No, oh, man, I was, I was that guy. I didn't know how to, but it took a long time. And there was tons of coaches. There was head staff, you know, people that were overseeing everything that would come up to me and be like, look, man, 
we don't see you playing in the big leagues. Like, yeah, you could play defense. You're an unreal uh, outfielder. But to play at the highest level of this game, you got to hit, and we don't think you're going to get um, So to say that there was always positivity wasn't because I didn't have the tools that some of these guys had. I knew that I had to work harder and longer than most of these guys. And, and so I always used that negativity or those naysayers to really fuel my fire. That's what I what drove me every single day was like, you tell me something, just like in college, you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to prove you wrong. I promise you. Dude, that's so sick. Yeah, man. I think that's it's it's very um, common with just any anybody who's trying to reach a goal. So if you're an athlete, younger athlete, and you have aspirations to play at the next level, and that might mean junior college, that might mean division one or any kind of four year, and it might mean professional. If you're a younger athlete right now and you just have aspirations to play at a, at a higher level than where you're at right now, take note of what Brandon's saying, please, because you're gonna experience a lot of negativity from people. Even in my own life, dude. When I started this show. Seven years ago, I mean, I was freaking 28 years old and people were like, oh, that's a cute podcast, Shane. And, you know, I was like, listen, dude, I want to get stories from people. I don't care if nobody knows me right now. That's fine. But I want to get stories out of people. I think it'd be really cool to share those stories with the rest of the world. Here we are seven years later. Yeah, it's worldwide. So, like, it's one of those things. And I'm trying to be humble about that. But it's like it's you're going to face <laughs> adversity. But go and prove them wrong. I think it's cool that you use that as fuel, man. Like, it's it's really inspiring. And I want the younger generation to actually, like, take note of that. And even parents like, dude, listen to what Brandon's saying. If you're in a career that you like, if you have aspirations in your career, do something about it and listen to what Brandon just said here. This is really, really cool. This is anybody who has a goal. So the, the one thing I want to talk about is that, you know, your first, when you get to the, the bigs, man, like, did they just fly you out there and you go to the facility? How did you even like adapt? Is it, are the guys like welcoming you into the locker room or was it just like, Hey, go grab a bat or whatever. Like, what was it like when you got there? Yeah. So, you know, that night I got called up, you know, I, I called everybody I knew closest family, friends, um, let them know what, I, what happened. I'm going to the show and, uh, they, they book you a first class flight the next morning. They get you out as soon as possible. So my flight was at 6am. I have to be up at four 30. You think I slept that night? Heck no. Right. Like, I was just jacked up, just got off the adrenaline of a, and the adrenaline of knowing that I'm going to the show the next day. So I think I slept about an hour that night after packing, um, got on my flight, first class flight. They paid for my wife and my daughter to fly out uh, first class. And, uh, you know, I immediately showed up and I was like, I'm just going to go drop my bags off. I'll go straight to the stadium and I want to get this day started. Like, I just need the adrenaline to keep going because if I stop, I'm going to get tired. Um, so my bags off, go to the stadium and, you know, black car picks you up, um, bags, you know, Bellman, it's, it's full works. Right. So showed up. I don't, I don't carry any of my bags to the locker room. They got people that do that for you in the show. Um, so I'm just walking in with my backpack, like stoked and, uh, walk in the doors and I'm just like, man, this is really happening. Right. And so immediately when you walk in the door, they put the lineup up and, I go through and I'm hitting ninth and I'm in the starting lineup. And I was just like, holy crap, this is really happening. Um, next I know manager comes out and uh, just chatted a real quick. And he's like, you ready to go? I was like, as ready as I'll ever be. And um, so, yeah, the guys were, were awesome. You know, I'd spent a lot of time with a lot of those guys that were already there. Um, you know, Bud Norris, J.D. Martinez, Jose Altuve, uh, Jason Castro, 
these are guys that I came up playing with in the minor leagues that just beat me to it. Right. So, um, you know, you spend spring training with them in, in major league camp and uh, you, you build this relationship. So when I came in, I, I was able to talk to the guys now as a, as a rookie, it's uh, it's better to, to be seen than heard. Right. So I just kept my mouth shut. I talked to the guy knew me, and I went to my locker and, and just kept my head down and my eyes up. Right. So, just doing the things that I needed to do every day. And uh, I remember walking up the steps to, to get on the field for that, that first uh, practice and just taking a look at like I did, right? You got to take one second to give yourself some props and then go back to work because you can't, you can't keep puffing yourself up because this game humble you. So batting practice, man, it was all a blur at that point, talking to media and reporters and, um, it was chaos, uh, but the game started. That's where everything kind of calmed down until that first at bat when you step in there and 30,000 people are screaming and calling your name, hear your walkout music for the first time. And, you know, I hit, I think my first three at bats, I hit three ground balls to the, to the second baseman, which was my buddy, Danny Espoza. <laughs> Dude, it's so sick. It is so sick. Like th th you are literally like sharing the story that every kid dreams of. It's like, here you are. It's literally a movie. And I think that's yeah. so dope. Now you said it kind of like slowed down. Then you ground three balls, the second, second baseman. Like, I guess how, how long before, like, was it just after that first game where you like, okay, it's no longer, it's not the fairy, like it is a fairy tale, but like now I got to realize that you got to figure out the business side of it and like learn that like there's media, there's all the things that you just mentioned. How long did it take you to be like, okay, this is just part of it. Cause I can imagine it's like a whirlwind. they be like, holy cow, there's a lot of money involved in this level of the sport. Right. So like there's a lot going on, but how long before you were able to say, okay, now this is what I do. I belong here. And this is what I'm doing from now on. Man, that took some time for me. Um, cause I still, truly didn't know if I belonged. Like you, you have to prove yourself. Um, and I wasn't proven yet. So every day was like, it was something new, right? Like new, uh, newspaper you had to talk to uh, a new media outlet. Um, you know, you went to a different stadium and everything changes like different media, different lights, different stadium. So like, uh, first places I went after playing in minute made in Houston was Wrigley. Like one of my first outside parks was, Wrigley Field, like iconic, right? The Ivy and, and how old it is. And, uh, you know, so so those emotions and adrenaline just come right back. Every new stadium I went to that year was just like, oh gosh, this is new all over again. Um, it wasn't until about the end of the year after I had about a month in that I was like, okay, this is my job. This is what I'm here to do. Just go do it. Um, so it, it took some time for me because I, I was living the dream, right? Like, I, I loved every single moment of it, even the media and the fans. And like, I always made a point to sign as many autographs as I could because I remember being that kid on the on the wall, like, sign my autograph, sign my autograph, and, and guys just walking by and not giving you the time of day. I wanted to, to make someone's day. I wanted to make sure that someone that paid and came and watched me play saw something cool or, or got to interact with me. That, to me, was special. Dude, it's seriously so cool, man. And you mentioned Wrigley was – I wanted to ask you another question about like your favorite stadium that you played in uh, as at, at the highest level, and then maybe a teammate or an opponent, like the best teammate or opponent that you played with at the highest level and what made them special. Yeah. So stadium and then an opponent or, or teammate. 
Yeah, man. Favorite stadium by far was Fenway. Um, got to play there uh, my second year, 2013. And, dude, iconic, man. I like, got to sign my name in the, the Green Monster um, here in Sweet Caroline in the seventh inning. You know, just because everything is on top of you there. It's, it's tiny, but it's huge. Um, the fans in Boston are nuts. It was just iconic, man. It was, it was breathtaking. My wife was there. She got to experience it. Um, and then I'd say my favorite teammate, man, I've got a few of them, but if I go with my guy, it was Carlos Gonzalez cargo with the Rockies. He was the guy that when I got traded over there, took me under his wing, you know, at that time, silver slugger, all-star, he was the man. Um, we were locker mates, you know, he had the, all these custom cleats from Nike that he would just, you know, he had so many, he's like, Hey, you want some sick cleats? We wore the same size shoe. So he was the guy that I leaned on a lot when I was in Colorado. Wow, dude, so cool. You know, Brandon, when you're you're no stranger to change, you know, I mean, you went okay, let's rewind. You had an, you had an opportunity or an offer to go play at UCLA for football. You go junior college route for baseball. You go into the minors 7 years, multiple different leagues, you're going different te- I mean, you're you're going through it, okay? Then you get to the to the majors, you're in the show and you're doing your thing. But I've been told that like and it's just like in every professional sport, every organization's ran differently. Um, and so I guess from it, maybe Houston to, to Colorado or wherever, right? Wherever you were at was, did you notice a major difference between the way certain organizations were ran and how did that impact you as a player to do your actual job? Yeah, every organization is different. You know, I played for, geez, what was that? Four or five different organizations. I played with Houston, Colorado, Miami. Um, Cleveland and really short stint um, and spring training with Cincinnati um, and ever so different, you know, by the front office to how practices run to how people communicate. Right. Um, and for me, you know, Houston was where I grew up. It's where I became a man. It's where I became a, a baseball player. So that was like, for me, that was the beginning of like building a family and then the immediately change of like, all right, you just got traded. See you later. Um, best of luck to you. Um, when I showed up to Colorado, it was immediate. Like the reaction I got from the front office, from the players, it was like I was already family. They already knew about me. They knew who I was. They they came and got me for a reason. And I meshed really well with the guys that were already there and who we had built the next couple of years. And then you go to a team like Cleveland who, you know, we had Terry Francona as the manager, iconic manager one of the best of all time. And you go this winning culture of like, you got to do your job, you got to excel or you're gone. Right. So it was a little bit more cutthroat in Cleveland, getting opportunities, getting to stay up there um, and knowing that you're probably going to play in the playoffs because over man, at that point I was with them for 14 years or with playing professional baseball for 14 years. I'd never played in a playoff game. Minor leagues, big leagues, never played in a playoff game, not one in my career. And getting that opportunity to to go to the playoffs with uh, Cleveland. And then the coolest part was that we were actually playing against Houston Astros in Houston in that playoff game. So to, to bring it all full circle to play in the playoffs against the team that drafted me, against the team that gave me that first opportunity, um, that's where it made a lot of things special. Yo, that's really cool. Kind of comes full circle too. You know, I've always said uh, I'm not a baseball player, but I, you know, I follow the sport pretty well. Uh, but 
playoff baseball and regular season baseball to me it's so different because of just like you know especially in a series where you got to rotate your pitchers you got to be really everyone's got to be on a pitch count there's a, there's a strategy it's more strategic than just regular season baseball to me it's like yeah yep. it, there's a lot of if you don't have the right depth at the at the pitching position it seems like that can change i the different rules between nl and al with the dh and all this stuff it's like dude it's a complete to me it's always just been like a weird puzzle that i've never really figured out from a business standpoint but it just it, because it's traditional it just stays the way that it is but what was the biggest i guess in your maybe it was the atmosphere of the like the whatever maybe it was playing houston but what was the biggest difference between playoff baseball as an an actual player compared to regular season baseball um, every win and loss means something, right? Like during the season, you could you lose a couple, but you're going to make those up. Like playoffs, you you lose a couple in a row, you're done, right? Like you're going home. Um, so that breaks the player there. Um, and, you know, the, the craziest thing was when I went back to Houston, um, when I played there during the regular season or when I played there when I was there, um, when it was packed, you know, it was loud, it was crazy, but it wasn't shaking, it wasn't rattling. Um, and when we played that playoff game there, I mean, you could feel the ground in the stadium because it's a dome. You could feel things shake. You can hear things rattling, um, which throws a whole new loop in like trying to communicate with your teammates, fly balls, um, trying to really concentrate when you're getting in the box and, and think through your mental process. Um, it's it's insane. I'll just go like, even in Cleveland, like when we went back to Cleveland and played Houston there, it's so loud. It's deafening. That's so sick, man. So cool. Uh, now this is a tough question, but I do want to at least ask it. You don't have to necessarily say anything, but Houston has their, uh, there's some things against <laughs> the, Houston, the, the bang, the bang. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you have an opinion on the matter, if you're, since that's like your first, that's, that's your, that's your place. But like, do you have an opinion on the matter? And, uh, you know, I don't know, like, do you think that people have a valid point of why they believe that that, uh, championship run is invalid? Yeah, man. And I get this question all the time. Right. So like every, when I post about Houston or when I make a comment about Houston, they call me a cheater. I'm like, Man, look at the games that we lost when I was there. We were rebuilding. We lost 107 and 110 games the two years I was there. We were not cheating. Now, fast forward, you know, till they became contenders. They were winners. They were winning World Series. Let me just put it this way. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. And every team's doing it at some capacity, um, whether it's technology, whether it's banging trash cans, whether it's stealing signs. Baseball was built off cheating, right? Because there's an edge that you get, but it's it's not. And I think the biggest one is technology, right? Like you're stealing things through technology. That to me is dumb. That's like that's true cheat, right? Now, if I'm stealing signs or you know making a noise because we we know what pitch is coming, um, to me that's free game. That's the game. Like, outsmart the next team. If you if you don't think the other team's cheating, you're you're kidding yourself. Um, you know, other teams, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Yankees, there's all scandals around it, but you don't hear it as big as the Astros because the Astros won that year, right? So to me, it, it goes back to the steroid era. It made the game better. It made it interesting. It made it fun. Like, yes, cheating's bad. I get it. But everybody's doing it. So you can't harp on one person or one team for doing it when all 29 other teams are doing it 
If they say they're not, they're lying to your face. No, I respect that. I respect that a ton. You know, it's funny. I'm a Buckeyes fan for Ohio State football. And like, there's been a massive scandal this last year about like Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, like sign stealing. I have a different opinion on the matter than most Buckeyes fans because everybody hates Michigan. But I'm like, dude, like, literally, if you're doing signs at all, I would literally have somebody dedicated just like reading the signs and dissecting that. I know that they like frown upon that. But I'm like, dude, like that. That's just part of the game. I think it's smart. So I actually respect I think that it's answer. Huge. Yeah, dude, it's like I think it, you have to do it, right? Like, like if someone's holding up a sign with a, a code on it to make a play, I'm telling you, I'm gonna find a way to decipher that. The same way when I was in the dugout watching a pitcher, if he was chewing gum on a fastball and didn't chew it on a breaky ball, of course I'm gonna look for that. I'm gonna use that to my advantage because at the top level college now with nil money in the pros we're all getting an opportunity to make a lot of money to be life-changing and if i'm not taking every uh inch of what i can i'm just pushing myself back the same way during the steroid era when you know tons of guys were taking steroids those guys that did not i'm great i'm glad that you have good more compass and didn't want to do it but you lost lost uh, millions of dollars you left millions of dollars on the table from not doing it. Now, do I think it's right? It's bad for your body, but you had an opportunity to, to change the game when it was, it wasn't even frowned on at that point. They knew what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Now see, I respect that. That's, that's a legit answer, man. This is why I love this show and doing these interviews because <laughs> you get the honest, honest uh, answers. And I always think of myself as I, I always kind of think a little bit differently than some people. And I always get flack for that. You know, it's like, dude, Shane, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't know. Like I thought, <laughs> baseball that was more exciting with the steroid era i did a college report on that by the way secondly the the ufc for mixed martial arts before usada ever came into play over there i was like dude john jones chael son dude all these dudes were popping and then you know what it was great like i don't know i just have a different <laughs> thought on it i don't do them but i'm like as it's entertainment but anyway so last question for you on the the baseball side is i, I just i do want to touch base on the business side and i apologize for the time but um with your your baseball experience, when did you know that it was time to hang up the cleats, Brandon? Um, did you know, was it a forced thing or was it a decision that you made? Uh-oh, I lost sound. Hold on. I lost sound from you. Oh, so then your mic's not connected. I wonder if the battery went out or something. There you are. Is that better? Yeah, I got you now. Good, good. Um, yeah, hanging up the cleats, man. It was a day that as an athlete, you don't ever think it's going to come. You think you're going to play this game forever. Uh, and I was in my last year was in South Korea. I played in, um, the professional league out there, their major league system, got that opportunity. I always wanted to play in Japan, Korea. I, you know, I've played in Mexico. I've played in Venezuela. I've played in Australia and, uh, I wanted to go out the way I wanted to go out. And so getting an opportunity to go to Korea playing in a different country, a different style of baseball um, was was special for me. And, you know, I was 34 at the time. I knew it was getting close, and I would have gone back in a heartbeat. I would have gone back for another year or two. Um, things happened where they didn't want to re-sign me. And uh, so at the point, I was like, I'm not going to go play in the minor leagues anymore. I got three kids at this point, a wife that needs me home. I want to watch my kids play their sports, dance, and do the things that they're doing. I want to be involved in their life. and being gone seven months out of the year um, isn't really giving my kids what they need. So 
being a husband and a dad was important to me. So when that time came, me and my wife talked about it. We're like, all right, let's do it. Let's move on to the next phase of our life. Not to say it was easy that that the retirement post and, and telling people what was going on, it, it was it was gut wrenching, you know, because I'd played baseball for 30 years. It's something I gave my life to. It's the only thing I knew how to do at a, at a high level. Um, so you find a, you you get lost, right, when you leave the game and this transition period. And so I've taken it upon myself to like, how can I help guys? How can I navigate guys and, and teach how to make that transition smooth? whether it's uh, investing during your career so you can be retired before you actually retire from the game. Uh, is it, you know, finding what's next for you? What's, what's your next passion? Um, you know, I have a very entrepreneur mindset where I wasn't going to work for the man. I wasn't going to work nine to five. I had to have that conversation with my wife. Um, so it took a little bit longer to find out what I wanted to do. That's awesome though, man. It's cool that you, you know, you made the decision. You had to make a legitimate decision. But what's also cool about your story, Brandon, is that shout out to your wife for not allowing you to quit earlier on in your career. And then you had your opportunity to do it on your own at the end. It wasn't probably like the best situation and it's never going to be perfect, but you made the decision that was right for you and your family. I think that's awesome. And then as you transitioned out of sport, that's the cool thing because the business side of things and how I met Brian Fulmer. Like I, I was, I, dude, we're talking about athlete narrative. We're talking about all these things. He mentioned something about like the transition from, from sport to real life. Now, like it's one thing to go yeah. through your sports career, but also building your brand and your network, leveraging your, your name, image, and likeness, and then transitioning out of sport and leveraging the things that you've learned along the way to the next steps. And you know, a lot of athletes are uh, indeed entrepreneurial minded. Um, it's really hard for them to go and work a nine to five or just any kind of corporate job. So talk to me about this business venture of Athlete Narrative and what you're trying to accomplish as one of the VPs over there. Yeah, I mean, this is like, uh, this is a dream job, right? So when I got out of baseball, I got into real estate, you know, I love what I do. I love real estate for the fact that I get to help people. I get to, to bring value to, to people. I get to get them their, their new home or their forever home. But it wasn't a passion, and I live off passion and, and doing things that I love. Um, and so when the the team over at Athlete Narrative pitched me this idea, I immediately said I'm all in because um, I, I got on social media at a young age, um, very early on, and had to brand myself as an athlete. And then going through that transition period, I had to learn how to brand myself as a real estate agent. Um, so so when they pitched me the idea, I was like, let's do it because this is something that's needed. It's a necessity and parents are going to love it for the aspect that they can have some safety and warning issues for their kids on what they're posting on social media and the resources um, that go beyond sport, right? So what we did is initially we took this idea of creating content specific to an athlete narrative to their who they are as a brand, as a story, as, a, as an athlete, and a person. Um, and we create this custom content for 365 days where through our platform, every single day they wake up, the, the caption and post is ready for them. All they have to do is uh, hit accept, hit post it out. Um, there's ways for them to tag certain coaches, colleges, boosters, whatever it may be. We give them the SEO optimized hashtags that go along with it. But for me, it's the aspect of, of we're giving resources within our locker room, which is a, a message board to by uh, age specific and um, sports specific communities. And then we're going to have a toolbox in there, a playbook where they can learn how to, to write a check, to, to write an email to a college coach or how to build a resume, 
Um, we're going to have financial literacy. We'll have how to deal with NIL, uh, entrepreneurship, health and wellness. Uh, we want these kids that come onto our platform to be well-rounded because we understand that only 7 to 10% of high school athletes go on to play the next level. And then it's 1% from there to go play pro and actually 1% get to the level of being the top of your game. So when we put all this together, we created this little business and brand for each athlete, custom to them for an archetype. Um, and it's, we've got a warning system in there for, that will be coming, you know, I think in February sometime where if they post something that doesn't fit their narrative, it immediately gets flagged. And if they continue to post, we're going to time them out, log into the system. So they have to think about it because it could be something where, you know, I've talked to tons of college, college coaches nowadays. And, and the first thing they do, is they get a name of an athlete they're interested in. The first thing they do is go to the kid's social media. And they'll run through it. If they find something bad, off the list, you'll never get a scholarship because it's big money. These, these schools are pouring in money. These pro teams are pouring in money. And they don't want to see their, their money go to waste. So if you have a bad brand or if you're posting dumb things on social media, you are what Google tells you you are these days. It's just how it is, right? Like newspapers, magazines, none of that's relevant anymore. It's all done digitally. It's all social media. And so what we're doing is we're creating a narrative and a brand around these athletes in a positive light and looking out for them, not just in their sport, but beyond their sport. This is awesome. I love that you having been at, at the top of your game. I love that you are part of this because it, it's something that you know a lot about. It's not just one of those things. I, I hate saying this, but there's a lot, a lot of coaches out there that have never played. And it's really hard to like find respect for them. It's not, when you're an athlete, it's like, dude, <laughs> You have no clue what you're talking about. You never played the game. You don't know what I'm feeling right now. But that's how we all feel as athletes. But you have been there, so you understand the pain points. The locker room thing that you just mentioned, if we circle back to what we talked about earlier, Brandon, we were talking about writing checks. We're talking about like big money yeah. coming in. So you got a signing bonus. You get you got to get signed on. And then like there's a lot of things that a lot of these young athletes don't realize. You know, when they get money, you know, some that's going to be taxed. How do taxes work? Well, that's going to be something that I think that your financial literacy literacy stuff can really help these kids out with. Maybe they're not getting hundreds of thousands of dollars right off the bat, but like even a, a $500 sponsorship from a local restaurant, how much of that is taxed? Is that a gift? How is it, how does it go in the tax bracket? And how do you like make sure you figure that piece out? How do you, how much do you yeah. save for taxes? There's a lot that goes into it. If you get gifted a car, is it a gift? Is it a lease? Is it an actual car? Uh, do you, are could you going to be a write-off? Yeah, all the little things. Do you need an LLC? How do you how do you put this under there? Like all those little things that athletes, you know, need to know. I feel like you guys are going to be providing those resources. Plus, your entire team is business minded as well. It's not just sports minded; you're business minded. I think it's brilliant. Um, and then the last thing I'd say to that, that you said right there was like, you know, they're looking at the social media and they check it off. As a basketball coach myself, I can tell you straight up from experience. We were in a tournament in Arizona. I coached the 17-year-old teams around here for, for uh, club basketball. So we're in these circuits, in the Under Armour circuit, and we're coaching in Arizona. And I'm literally talking about two coaches that were sitting there watching one of the players on our, one of our other teams for our club. And because of the kid, his attitude during one of the plays, he literally checkmarked his name off the list and walked away. They're literally looking, and this is just basketball. It's for any sport. They're literally looking for reasons not to take you. That's kind of yep. what it is at this point because there's a ton of athletes out there. So if you're showing them any reason not to take you, that's a blessing to them because they can just write you off and they don't have to deal with it later. So what you guys are providing as far as like the protection, 
making sure they build their brand. They, they have a, a respectable name, image, likeness, everything. Like it's, it's something that a, a company and a school or whatever it might be is proud of. And they're not going to be worried about it. And the parents, I love the whole aspect of the parents. You guys are educating parents too, helping protect the parents from like freaking out. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. So I appreciate what you guys are doing. I'm going to have a link down to the athlete narrative uh, sign up. If you guys are interested in this, check it out. Um, I mean, we've heard from Brandon, we've heard from Brian, we, we know what they're doing and you've probably heard from me now. If you follow me on social media at this point, you're going to hear a lot more about athlete narrative because I'm a big fan of that. Um, as we wrap it up, Brandon, what would you say is the biggest life lesson that baseball has taught you? Man, there's a lot. So the, the two big things, discipline and fear of failure, right? So discipline for me was getting up every morning, doing the same thing over and over and over again, because I knew if I continued to do that, I would get to the highest level. Um, and it not always being the fun things, right? Like doing the thing I know I need to do, not necessarily want to do. Um, and to do those every single day um, in a routine, it's tough. But discipline has carried over into my next phase of my life to where when I jumped into business, I'm disciplined enough to to sit behind a desk or go out and do the things I need to do every single day. Hit my hit my um, I call it my get shit done list, but I, I hit that list and I go through it and get everything done because I had the discipline to get through them all. You know, I'm not sitting there scrolling on social media while I should be working. Um, and then the fact that fear failure, there's a lot of people that fear failure. I could care less about failure. Um, I think you can you learn a lot more through failure than you do success. Um, you learn a lot more by getting punched in the mouth and getting back up um, than you would through just succeeding. So, you know, playing a game of failure where I. Um, so, yeah, the fact of failure, a lot of people fear it because they think failure is the end of the road. But failure to me is an opportunity to get better. I know what I failed at, why I failed at it. Now, what are the steps to get better? Um, so there, there's no fear of failure. Like. Say in real estate, I, I lose out on a deal. Great, there's another one to be had. How do I go find it? Let's go make it happen and get it done. Um, where a lot of people, they don't want to fail because they think it's the end of the road. No, go fail. Go do it over and over and over again. You know, that that insanity, that, that insane mindset of, I'm going to keep going until I hit the top. Damn, dude. So sick, dude. I love it. Discipline and the the whole concept of failing forward so the fear of failure and getting over that i think is brilliant brandon i appreciate your time man i just want to say thank you for for taking this entire time to share your story with us on the on the platform and i look forward to seeing what the rest of your journey looks like now with the business side of things and again just want to say thank you for sharing all your insight today nah, i appreciate you guys having me on man it's a blast absolutely brother for all those listening make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure to hit the subscribe button because we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.